Amen to that. I love this worship team. I love uh, people that are dedicated to help us worship God. In uh, New Jersey, when I first started preaching up there, one of the first sermons, the deacon pointed to me. He said, Pastor, will you come up and lead us in worship? And uh, I've stricken what happened from that point out of my mind. But suffice it to say, he never asked me to do that again. So I'm, I'm very thankful for a, a worship team like this, especially that they're, so, they're all so young. Yep. The disciple Paul, the, the apostle, I'm sorry, the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter, the fisherman, in his first letter writes, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That's a very troublesome verse for me. It's always been a troublesome verse because in that verse is expectations. I have to know something. I have to be able to answer questions from anyone. It's troublesome. And not long ago, a man, a friend, came to me and he said, Ben, why is this happening to me? I'm, I'm basically good. I'm friendly. I'm kind. I'm nice. I'm doing the right things as far as I know. And this bad event is happening to me. This bad thing is, is uh, destroying me. It seems like it's, it's just killing me. And I couldn't give a good answer. And further in the, in the past, people have asked me similar types of questions. Uh, why did Grandpa have to die from cancer? Why was my son killed? Why do men fly airplanes into buildings? And I couldn't answer those questions either. I tried, but I couldn't. So I went to the Bible, and I went to my books, and I discovered two things. The first thing was I identified the problem, the, the question that I was struggling with, and it's called the problem of evil, the question of evil. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God let these things happen? Can he stop them? Why do children die? Why do tsunamis wreck entire villages? So I identified that question. The second thing was I realized that Peter's statement that I just read to you doesn't mean I have to answer every question that anyone asks me. I just have to be able to give a reason for the hope that I have. And my hope is in the gospel. And the gospel answers all those questions. Romans chapter 12. Here's what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. My answers were conformed to the world. They were sound bites. Because that's what the world wants. The world wants sound bites. The world does not want the gospel. My answers were incomplete. My answers were ineffective. So I had to change the way I answered those questions. So what about you? Has anyone ever asked you those questions? Why did Grandpa have to die? 
Why does everybody get divorced? Why are people beheading people? Why is there cancer? Why does God let these things happen? If someone's asked you that, then you know how daunting it is to answer, right? It's almost impossible. Maybe you've asked that question before. Maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe as you're sitting there right now, you're thinking, why is it? Why do these things happen? Why does God allow that? And you have to go through this question. If you're a believer, you have to go through it. You have to reconcile why bad things happen to good people. You have to do that for yourself. And you have to do it for others because your children are going to ask you this question. Your spouse is going to ask you this question. Your neighbors, your friends, your boss, your co-workers, a stranger is going to ask you. And here's the beauty and simplicity of God. This question, these questions of evil are solved by the gospel. Amen? The answer to all these questions is in the gospel. The gospel is our worldview. So what does that mean? It means that we can approach these questions of evil with the gospel, with what we already know. In other words, if you have a basic understanding of Scripture, a basic understanding of the Bible, you already know the answer to this question. Now, you may think, I'm not smart enough to answer these types of questions. I'm not a pastor. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm just not good enough. I get put on the spot. I get nervous. I can't do it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. So what I hope to accomplish today, first I want to show you that the answer to those questions is in this book. It's in the gospel. The devil wants that question, the question of evil, to be a stumbling block that causes people to fall. And it is a stumbling block. But the, it's, it's surmountable. The answer is right here. The second thing, you already know the answer. If you have that basic understanding, you have the answer. You can do it. But there are two catches. There are two catches. You have to answer the question with the full gospel. Okay, because the soundbite answer does not work. Okay, Jesus loves you as an answer may be the truth. It does not work today. It doesn't work with the skeptic and the unbeliever. And second, you have to memorize seven words. Now, the good news is that all of those words start with the letter C. Okay? I'm even going to make it easy. I'm going to put them up on the wall. The words are creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross and consummation and this is nothing new i didn't make this up i'm not smart enough this has been uh usable for since the new testament it was beat into my head in the seminary i'm just sharing it with you today it's good to write these down to commit them to memory these words are simply prompts that will walk you through the answer to that question when you're giving someone the full gospel 
when someone asks you about evil. In Ephesians, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Someone just took a picture of that. Get your phone out and take a picture of that. It's okay. That's fine. You wrote it. You wrote it down. I saw you. That was good. If you want to put it back up for just a moment, go ahead. We can take pictures. I want you to know, my friends, when someone asks you about the question of evil, why do bad things happen to good people, and you answer, you are engaging in that battle. When they ask and you respond, you are fighting against evil, against darkness. And you are bringing the light. It's a very serious situation. That's why we flounder with answers. That's why we say, I don't know, or, or I can't answer because I'm not smart enough. It's so serious. It's a struggle against Satan. That's why we must give the full gospel rather than a cute slogan or a sound bite or I don't know. And look, we can answer evil is a product of sin, and that's the truth. But it leaves out so much of the story. Here's the big picture today. We should always take the time to give them an answer that includes the full gospel. And if they refuse to hear it, then they don't want the answer. There's not a whole lot you can do about that. So the Christian worldview is the full gospel. It's what we believe. It's the lens through which we see everything, right? Or what we should see everything. But just because we're Christians doesn't mean we buy into that full worldview, right? Yes, the believer believes that Christ is Savior, but when things get tough, we sometimes fall back on our worldly views, right? Let me give you an example. Choosing what scientists say over what God says, not the Christian worldview. Choosing to go with our feelings instead of what God says not the Christian worldview. Throwing out an answer capriciously, frivolously to, to make someone feel better so you don't hurt their feelings. Not the Christian way. Remember Jesus said the truth will set you free. Not a, not a sound bite. Not the quick answer. Not the easy answer. So we have to subscribe to this Christian worldview ourselves first. Everything has to be filtered through Scripture. Then you can help other people. Then you can give them the full gospel. The first C is creation. Everything that exists except God himself. This includes material as well as immaterial things and time. God is the creator. We are the creatures. The creator-creature distinction must be maintained to properly remain in a humble relationship with God. Man is not God, nor can man create something out of nothing, nor can mankind help himself by doing good in order to be saved. God alone can save us. Creation refers to Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11. God makes everything that there is out of nothing in six days and then he says, it is all exceedingly good. 
exceedingly good. If you've ever been to a Bible study or a kid's church, you've heard the creation story 50, 60 times probably. You know the story. Corruption. The act of corrupting or state of being corrupt. Moral perversion, depravity, perversion of integrity, corrupting, corrupt or dishonest proceedings, bribery. Sounds a lot like what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? With the serpent. Sounds a lot like what's happening today in America. Sounds like what we're seeing in Rio. It's everywhere. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. That's a commandment. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. So God draws a line in the sand. And he says, you can do everything except this one thing. Satan sees that as an opportunity. And he corrupts Adam and Eve, and they choose to disobey God. Corruption. This is a pivotal, pivotal point in history. Shockwaves from this event are felt even today. Every time you deal with sin, every time you deal with death, cancer, fighting, something breaks, that's a shockwave. You're feeling a shockwave from that first sin. Sin enters the world. It breaks mankind's relationship with God. Man can no longer walk with God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And David wrote in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This means man is responsible for sin and death. Not God. It's our fault. It's our sins. It all started with Adam and Eve when they decided to be like God. And the world is still corrupt today and it will remain corrupt until he returns. Catastrophe. The next sea. A sudden violent disturbance, especially of a part of the surface of the earth. A cataclysm. In this case, the whole earth. Creation, corruption, catastrophe. God destroys mankind with the flood. You've heard this story. Genesis chapter 6. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Man becomes rotten to the core. And God destroys everyone except for a righteous man named Noah and his family and the creatures on the ark. 
The fourth C, confusion. Lack of clearness or distinctness. Rather quickly, many of Noah's descendants become corrupt. Are you seeing a theme here? They become corrupt and they decide, let's build a tower that reaches up into heaven. What did God tell man to do? Be fruitful and multiply. What does man do? Let's build a tower and make a name for ourselves. You know that is the Tower of Babel. You've heard that story. So God confuses their language and he disperses them. And the people would stay confused for thousands of years, for a very long time. They would stay confused until Christ came. That's the next C, Christ. He arrives and he makes all things new. Now notice I didn't say he makes all things fair. Because you all know life is not fair. I don't have to tell you that. When a, when a smoker gets cancer and dies from it, it's fair. It's not good, but we see that as fair. When a, a boxer or a fighter dies in the ring, it's fair. It's not good. It's fair. But when a child dies for no reason, it's not fair. And when the non-smoker dies from lung cancer, it's not fair. And when you go to work and someone flies a plane into your building, it's not fair. But look at our, our model. Our model is and should be Jesus Christ, the most innocent of all, who was tortured and murdered. If anything... You guys, if anything, fairness is an aberration in this broken and sinful world, right? It's an aberration. Thank God we have times of calm and times of good, but fairness is not what it's about. Sickness and death and pain and suffering and strife, murder and all of those things, that's the norm since the fall. It's not new. That's why Peter said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's the norm. And Paul said, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but should suffer for his sake. The sixth C is the cross. On the cross, Jesus reverses the course of history and begins to restore. He begins to make things new. Amen. He overcomes sin. He overcomes death. He gives us a chance to be restored in our relationship with God. He didn't fix the world. He restored our relationship. The world will be fixed when he returns a second time. Like he said he would do. At the consummation of all things. So the final C, consummation. Perfection. 
fulfillment. Once Jesus returns in glory, all things will be made new. New heaven, new earth, new bodies. We'll spend eternity with him. And until then, we wait. We continue to live in this broken world and we make every attempt to save as many of our brothers and sisters as we can. Here's how John puts it in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now hear this part if you're suffering, if you have pain, if you're experiencing anything like that. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. For many, the truth about death and sin and evil, it's unacceptable. They simply won't believe. They don't believe. And they can't believe. And there's nothing you can do about it. But remember where we started off. Our job, our task, our mission as ambassadors for Christ is to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. Remember, God is not hard or tricky or confusing. God is easy. So simplify. You already know this material. You just have to organize it in your head. And then you can answer the question easily and effortlessly. And this is one of the toughest questions in theology. Why is there evil? Now, I'm not saying that when you give the full gospel answer to the question of why do bad things happen to good people? Why did grandpa have to die? Why, do, why are terrorists doing the things they're doing? I'm not saying that's going to make everything all right. And that every time you use this with anyone, they're going to go away a new believer, freshly restored. Nobody's saying that. But hopefully you can see the difference between the soundbite or the cute slogan or the easy answer or the I don't know. You can see the difference between that and the full gospel. So that's the seven C's that make up our worldview and our gospel. It's a tool I hope you will consider using. And when you answer the question of evil with the full gospel, you are the most dangerous weapon in existence. Because you're a child of God and you're using the ultimate, most powerful weapon available, God's word. It's a terrible weapon. Let me ask my friend Jeff to come up. 
I want to close with a story that I hope will underscore uh, that what happens happens for a reason. And it's about a moth, because frankly, I'm tired of talking and thinking about death. The story goes like this. There was a man on a nature hike, and he comes across a cocoon. We have a picture of a cocoon. It looks just like this. There's a hole in the top, so he knows something is inside, and he takes it home. For a couple of, it's not what you guys are thinking. So a couple of uh, a couple of months later, it starts to stir. So he's excited, and as he watches, the creature inside comes out, struggles, can't get out, goes back in. He does this for hours and hours and hours, and the man's a kind soul. He wants to help. So he gets some scissors, and he trims the opening. He makes it bigger. And sure enough, out pops a... uh, Don't show the next picture, please. Okay, show it. (laughs) That's not what pops out. A moth comes out, but it has an enormous, bloated, disgusting body and tiny wings that don't fit. Tiny, tiny, tiny wings. And the man thinks, well, that must be normal. So I'm going to keep watching. And over the next uh, two days, he watches, and the, the, the moth stays exactly like it is. And then the moth dies because it can't fly. It can't take care of itself. So the man goes to look up what that creature was. And it turns out it's an emperor moth. And it's supposed to look like this. and he finds out that during the birthing process this creature has to force its body through the small opening it has to constrict its body and that forces the fluid in its body into its wings now when it's born it has small wings but like a miracle uh, within three or four hours they uh, quadruple in size and they turn into that. But you have to have that process, that painful process that appears to be suffering in order to blossom into this you know, most beautiful moth there is. What's the point? What's the analogy? When someone comes to you in pain, you want to help them. You want to make them feel better. You want to make things easier. And when you give them a sound bite or a cute but incomplete slogan or even an I don't know, it's a disservice. Because what they really need, what, we, what they need is the same thing we all need. It's the full gospel. That's the only answer. It's, uh, it's kind of interesting. I was talking to Ben a little over a week ago, and I uh, didn't realize I'd be speaking to you all this morning, closing in prayer. I was telling him how it's interesting how very often on Advanced Sunday, what I thought to give for a message is punctuated in some way by what the sermon has to say. And so being prepared is, is interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about intentionality uh, during Advanced Sunday. And one of the things uh, Ben and I were together for uh, was this thing called the Global Leadership Summit. And as we were at this summit, 
we heard a speaker by the name of John Maxwell. He's a leadership expert and best-selling author. His latest book is called um, Intentional Living, Choosing a Life That Matters. One of the things he said that I was thinking a lot of as Ben spoke is this. Everything worthwhile is uphill. And with men of faith prior to us actually being called men of faith when we were critical masculinity, very often we talked about taking the hill. That being those things that we need to overcome, that we need to focus on, be intentional about overcoming. And so I was thinking about that. He, he added, John Maxwell added, that people tend to have uphill hopes and downhill habits. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in Advanced Sunday, but I was thinking about that in relation to what you were saying. I thought that was kind of cool. What I want to do is a little bit different. I'm glad to have the ladies here. It's kind of an interesting opportunity to give you a little uh, insight into Advanced Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about this with the men, but uh, there is a, you know, talk about being intentional. There is a, um, there's a book that we have at Man in the Mirror called The Marriage Prayer Challenge. And what it is is a challenge for husbands and wives to pray with each other. And that's a matter of being intentional in that regard. So what I'd like to do, if you would uh, indulge me on this, is we'll, we'll get into it a little more with the guys. But for the ladies who are here, I'd like you to pray along this with me for your husbands. And I recognize that not everybody here is married. So for those of you who aren't married, maybe you would want to plug in uh, a couple that you are close with. It could be for you younger folks. It could be your parents. It might be uh, a couple that is that you know is going through a struggle or a couple that is a beacon, like uh, Pastor Bill was talking about with Jeff Cucci and Karen Cucci. So let me pray this with you, and I would ask you to just, uh, especially for you ladies who are married, to plug in, uh, you know, think of your husband in this prayer. So let's pray. Father, I said, till death do us part, I want to mean it. Help me to love you more than him, and him more than anyone or anything else. Help me bring him into your presence today. Make us one like you are three in one. I want to hear him, support him, and serve him so he would love you more and we can bring you glory. Amen.